Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Felicia Hatcher, a Fortune 500 top requested speaker on innovation and personal transformation. Good morning, everybody. This is Alex Tiersch, and this is the American Med Spa Association's podcast and uh, Med Spa Insider. And today we have a very special guest, Felicia Hatcher. Welcome, Felicia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alex, for having me on the show. No, it's 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 absolutely um, my pleasure. And for just a little background, I, I, I know um, you're very well known within certain circles, um, and it's 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 an honor to have you on. Felicia will be doing. Um, one of the, the the main keynote address at our at our um, conference in Las Vegas in May medical spa show and I she's she's got a a, a phenomenal background she has, has spoken and presented and has clients for for all you know several major companies worldwide she's she's built her brand kind of from the ground up you've got a super interesting story and um, I would love to start Felicia because this is first of all you and I could not be more different from a from a um, an industry standpoint just kind of background standpoint um, the way we look the way you know I'm a man you're a woman all this stuff is is we're, we're, we're very different but I have to say I was I was watching you one of your TEDx talks I think and your story really really resonated with me and and it was it was something that that I found to be um, relatable to me and in, 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 in that you, you talk a lot about um, your failures before you were successful. You talk a lot about how you, you, you weren't the best student in, in high school and you kind of had to fight and grind and scrap your way and, 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 and building yourself up like that. And, and I, I, it, it really, it made sense to me. And, and I just, I, I would love for you to just maybe take a, a, a short second and just talk a little bit about who you are and how you've got to where you are. Cause I know a lot of folks that are listening, maybe don't know who you are, but you've got such a compelling story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I don't I'm trying to figure out where to, where to begin other than, <laughs> you know, I, I realized at, at 17 years old that there's more than one pathway to success and right. that you can take the non-traditional route and, and have the success and kind of chart out your own own path, right? And so and it's literally been the story of, of my life of just getting really creative with limited resources and just being able to maximize that to the fullest potential. And so I was a, I, I was a C student in high school. I always tell people like, I think my, my GPA was a 2.7 when I graduated. <laughs> Didn't touch a 3.0 on the, you know, at all, maybe on the way down, but like definitely not on the way up. <laughs> And I, you know, I had a guidance counselor that told me that I would never make it to a college right. or a university because of my grades. And this was someone that did not know me. Right. And right. that kind of was a trend that continued on throughout my career. Like these people that don't really know you or don't fully believe or understand the journey that you're on, but feel like they have sage advice to give to you anyways, which is just the, the, the most horrible and wrong advice to, to, to give. And, and that was my experience. And I worked for Nintendo and I worked mm-hmm. for Sony. I worked for McKee Foods. You know, I wrote a book and I dedicated it to that guidance counselor. Cause I'm like, you almost <laughs> crushed my dreams at 17. And I've, I've lived a really interesting life from a career standpoint um, as, 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 as well. And so working in experiential marketing, working for some of the big boys has really taught me everything that I know about business 
uh, everything I know about customer acquisition, mm-hmm. and but most importantly, creating an experience. And I, I learned all those things at the time where social media was just starting to yep. pick up. Um, and people didn't fully understand it as a, um, a, a a really functional tool for marketing and connecting with with people. Alex, I'm so sorry. Um, someone's. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's okay. This is uh, this is what happens when you uh, <laughs> when we do this stuff during a pandemic and we're at home. So no no big deal. Um, please continue unless you need to. Do you need to take a quick break? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. okay. Um, I just didn't know if all the I didn't know if it picked up in the background. I apologize it does, about that. But you know what? There's I'm, I promise you, before the day is done, you're going to hear a dog barking or a cat meowing or or something like that in the <laughs> background. So it just it, it's 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 par for the course. You know, one thing that you said that I that I thought was interesting um, is, and, and this is one of the things that that, that resonated with me. I, I feel like there are sometimes there there are two like kinds of entrepreneurs there are there are there's the kind that that are just born with that kind of innate confidence and that that ability where they just they, they they've got the smarts they've got the drive and from the day they're born they're kind of hit the ground running and it's just like it's there it's never in doubt and then where I fall and I think where you fall is that I'm very, very, I always have been. And this is one thing that, that resonated with me about your story is uh, very motivated when people tell me I can't do something like it just it, it, it triggers yeah. something in, in my brain that I can't even quantify. And it just makes me want to do it all the more. Um, and so it's almost like that guidance counselor, you know, you said, you're not gonna let her crush your dreams. Is it possible that the guidance counselor was was triggering, like actually triggering your dreams, trying to get you motivated, or was it just a straight up, no, you, you can't do it? Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that was her intention, but it is how I channeled it, channeled it yeah. right? It was very, very much like, well, let me prove you wrong. And yeah. it was the fuel that I needed at that time, right? It was definitely the kick in the butt that I needed as well, because I kind of skirted through high school, right? Like I, I, you know, I sucked at geometry, but I could rewire cable into my, my bedroom. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. I taught myself how to code when I was like 16 and 17 years old. So it wasn't an, it wasn't an intelligence issue. It was just like, okay, well I can, you know, I'm going to get the same piece of paper that like the national honor society students. So like, let me do all these other things that I, that I care about, but I was really active and engaged in the community. And you know, for I think for a lot of us that are kind of on this non-traditional path, um, or honestly, like I was just like, how non-traditional is it really? Right? Yeah, like I was the, just the way say. that we've been told things are supposed to go, and and then there's reality, right? And reality is really what whatever you 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 make it. And so, um, you know, and it's so funny, Alex, because I did meet. I, I went to back to speak at my my old high school uh, quite a few years ago. And one of the ladies that invited me, I think she like kind of put two and two together. I, I, I gave that same kind of talk. I go in, in, in much more detail when I'm talking to students. And I, um, she ended up giving me a tour of the campus and bringing me to that guidance counselor's office. And so we had this really weird moment. Yeah. She's like, I didn't believe, I don't think I like said, I'm like, no, you really did say that because it has <laughs> stuck with me throughout my entire life. And it's unfortunate because not everyone has the wherewithal or the, the, the you know, a self-determination or motivation to channel that into something that fuels them to move forward. Right. And yeah. just like, you know, according to you, I would have never made it to, to, to being honored at the white house twice. Right. I would never have been able to call like Google and target and Spotify clients. If I would have listened to you 
back then. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important and it's a life lesson for us way past high school is just like, be very careful who we let pour into us, yeah. um, who's in our circle, especially as entrepreneurs, right? Because yeah. entrepreneurship is largely very lonely. And yeah. so the few people that we have around us that rally and support us, you also have to just be very cognizant of like, are, do they have the best interest in mind for me? And, you know, can I take what they're saying um, and, and really be able to use it? Or should that be something that I just kind of tuck away and say, like, hey, I received that, but that's not the advice that I need in this moment to make this business decision. Yeah. And as entrepreneurs, we're just making so many decisions on an ongoing basis that could go left or right for us. Yeah, I think um, one thing you said that that was interesting is, you know, it it, it, it is kind of a, a lonely journey to be an entrepreneur because there's it's not like unless you have a, a co-founder and even then usually when you, there, there's there's co-founders, you know, there, there's there's a division of power and a division of responsibility. So you, you there's there there's a certain you know loneliness to not being able to to really talk to people and then sure you can talk to other business owners, but they don't have the same, you know, interests, um, in, in, in mind as you do. And one of the things also that you said in one, I can't remember if it was a podcast or a video or whatever it was. Um, you mentioned that, um, when you started your, um, you started a popsicle business, which I, I, I find amazing. I had no idea there was, there was money in, in popsicles, but I, but, but that's awesome. Um, and, and, you you had uh, when you first started you had you had run out of money you were um, at a point where you were thinking of of leaving the business and taking a break you had been reading a bunch of business books about how to do things and you wanted kind of the answer and I think it was your father who just said you just got to get going and do it so stop stop reading books stop stop yeah. stop talking and just get out there and do it and um, it's it's so true it's like th- th- this being an entrepreneur is just about like you, it's just trial and error getting it done getting out there are making things happen. Absolutely. It is, right? And then it's the resiliency and the bounce back that, that's also really important too. But yeah, my dad, my dad's been an entrepreneur for, for most of my life. And it was at such an interesting point in my life, right? I started uh-huh. a business, uh, my first like very serious business, because I had started a business in, in, in college. Um, and it, around 2008, right, which is the massive economic downturn, probably the worst yep. time to start a business. Although some big, big giant started businesses have been wildly successful since, but I just didn't know any better, right? And if I did know any better, I probably would have never started the company. And so, like a lot of entrepreneurs, just kind of like it's stepping out on faith and just like let me see where it's going to go. The other part of that is I could not find another job back in my field in experiential marketing and product launch. And if I could have, I also would have never started that business. But I just I had this idea that I just could not let go of. And um, I'm a dessert fanatic. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I got married at a hippie donut shop. I don't know if you (laughs) saw that in the the process of preparing for this, but I got married at a hippie donut shop. I love, love, love desserts. And so I'm like, I want to start a gourmet popsicle company and move back to Florida. I moved back to Florida with my husband in tow to my parents' house. Very interesting times, right? Uh-huh. It was one of those times where my parents were just like, we believed in her all up into this point where she drove <laughs> like a you know, 40-year-old Chevy P30 into our yard, in our backyard, and said, I'm going to turn this into an ice cream empire. <laughs> that was the first time I saw their faith in me kind of like was very fleeting in, in that moment. But I learned so much, mostly because I did not have anything that people tell you that you're supposed to have stacked up when you're starting a business, right? And so mm-hmm. no experience in the industry, mm-hmm. 
like none. Like I, the yeah. most experience I had in the food business at that time is working at McDonald's when I was 16, right? So I give like a lot of credit to being able to pull down like the ice cream lever whenever ice cream machines work at McDonald's. Yeah. And then we didn't have any money, right? <laughs> like we used the last bit of our savings to buy two ice cream carts off the off of the luxury shopping website Craigslist, right? <laughs> and we're like, we're going to pedal our way to success. And then, you know, no recipes, no know-how, like, a, just a long list of no's yeah. or, or, you know, and we just, we're just, we're going to see where this is going to go yeah. and we're going to get creative. And I think, you know, the great thing about that experience is we leaned on our past experience that wasn't in the same exact industry, but we're like, you know, success leaves clues. And if these mm-hmm. big companies that we work for, my husband had worked at Target as a financial analyst, I had worked at Nintendo and Sony and the NBA. And I'm like, well, they were doing all these things. Let me figure out a way to be able to do this um, with uh, far less money than than they have and far less resources. That I mean, it's it's an amazing story. Um, and and was there a a point during your journey? Because because one of the things I, I love working with entrepreneurs. Again, our our association is is almost a hundred percent small business entrepreneurs. Um, and I love when they 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 succeed, right? There's that moment when things just start to happen. Th- you know, whether it's you you get a big contract, you get multiple bids, whatever it is. Do you remember back to the time when when, when your when your ice cream business um, started actually like working and 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 just talk about how that felt and and and, and were you like trying to you know go back to your parents and say, see, I told you. I've had a lot of see, I told you moments with my parents for sure. Um, you know, it, there were, there were a few points. It was, you know, in, I would say after year one, cause I try, I, I'll be honest, Alex, I tried to quit at year one. That's yeah. what that whole TEDx yeah. talk was about. It was like wanting to quit. And my dad's like, if you take a well, I, I told I convinced myself that I wanted to take a break because things yeah. weren't going well. We had ordered like a high output machine from from China. It was supposed to come in six weeks, didn't come for eight, I think ten months. And we had started taking bigger orders in preparation for being able to output at a, a much higher quantity than we were. Just a disaster of a time. And it was really like the second year where we got featured in a, in a like a, what I thought was a small publication, mm-hmm. uh, but our phone rung completely off the hook. And so it was that the other big inflection point for us was actually being featured on the Today Show. Yeah. And so like the whole Al Roker introduced us mm-hmm. five minute segment during, you know, 9 a.m. on a what a Monday or Tuesday morning. I think the advertising equivalent was about a million dollars if we were paying for an advertisement for that five minute slot. And it was it was honestly more than we could even handle. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, definitely being prepared for success is also really, really important. I think so many of us prepare for failure. Right. right? Like, how do I move myself past this doubt or then saying like, well, how do I best prepare myself to win? And when that winning season turns on, am I like, is our foundation prepared to be able to handle that? Yeah. And we were in some instances and we weren't. But that was a huge inflection point for us as well. That got a lot of the corporate clients calling calling us, mm-hmm. um, as well as just using and leveraging social media like crazy 
at a time where people didn't understand that. And mind you, this was also at, right at the time when gourmet food trucks were just starting to sprout up. Yeah. And so people were like, what do you mean follow you on Twitter to find out where you're going to be? You're not going to be <laughs> in the same place every single day. Um, and, and, and like leveraging that and leveraging storytelling in a way that really got people excited about us. But more so than anything, like getting big brands excited about working with us, this really small company in Miami. And like, what do we have to offer? Well, a lot, right? Because yes, a big brand like a Coca-Cola can have millions of followers on social media, but do those people respond when they're doing an activation in Miami? And nine times in 10, they don't. Like we had the personal connections, right? right? But then we also had value. And, and I think that's a really big thing for people to understand when they're building their businesses, no matter what industry they're in, is like, what is your value proposition? Mm-hmm. And are you also using value-based fees in the process of kind of moving away from like hourly or incremental to say, this is the full value in which we offer to you. Um, and mm-hmm. this is what the outcome is going to be as a result of us coming in and working with you or you experiencing our, our, our brand. It's a different kind of conversation that entrepreneurs have to have with themselves and their teams. And then it's a different kind of conversation that you also then have with your customers and your clients. Yeah. When you say value based fees, I, I, I would love to, to have you expand on that because one of the things that I've seen in many entrepreneurs, not just I'm a lawyer also by trade, although I don't I don't really practice anymore, but I've seen this with lawyers. I've seen it with doctors in our industry where people don't value themselves appropriately and they tend to um, try to chase, you know, a lot of clients to just to get money in the bank. Whereas at some point I feel like it switches and and people think, okay, what am I actually worth? How am I going to get paid for that? Um, So is that what you mean by value based fees? Yeah, it's, you know, it's really about kind of based on moving away from like hourly to your contributions to the results um, or the way that the condition is going to be changed for the client, right? And so traditionally, you know, if you're doing hourly billing within the legal field, like right. it's ripe for disruption around this. Like I have a really good friend of mine that is moved, trying to get like lawyers to move to subscription-based models. Mm-hmm. And if I am charging hourly, it's actually not advantageous to the client for me to solve that problem as quick as possible, right? Because I need to get to a certain amount of dollar amount for this to be make sense for me. Um, and so it's really not fair on both sides, because if you can solve the problem in five minutes, why why extend this for, for five hours or 50 hours? Right. And so if you do value based pricing, it's like, no, hey, this is what it costs for me to solve this problem for you. And if you need access to me, like I'm going to charge enough so that you get the full value. Your team doesn't feel like they're being nickled in, in, in dime. And we uh, we uh, and, and we in accordance with each other agree on the outcome that you're expecting and I'm going to charge the fee to deliver at that quality in which you deserve. Mm-hmm. And that's really what value-based pricing is, is about. And so Alan Wise, um, I, I don't know if he coined the term, but he has the book value-based pricing. It looks like a textbook, but I, I tell people it's the best, like, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks that you could spend to really kind of wrap your head around how you can deliver at a high quality and then how you can charge for that and then have the confidence as well to be able to charge because you can say, hey, I'm going to deliver at the quality that you expect, 
or in order for me to deliver at the quality in which you and your team deserve or you and your clients deserve, this is what it costs. Mm-hmm. And when you say that, no one ever says like, no, I don't want quality. Right? Like no one right. ever says that. Right. Um, then they get a better understanding of what it costs to engage with you and deliver. Because I think, you know, so often we talk about training the entrepreneur to be confident in the fees that they charge so that they can actually deliver with their whole heart and not from a scarcity mindset, but an abundance mindset. But that same mm-hmm. kind of education needs to happen to the consumer a mm-hmm. lot of times, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes we'll get upset and we're just like, man, like they they came to me and they 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 had this little non-existent budget and they well, no, you have to tell them what it costs in your industry to get the quality in which they yeah. ask. You cannot be upset, right? It's like none of us, it, it, like when we don't get the things that we want, it's not the fault of the other person. It's what we negotiated, right? right? Like what you negotiate is what you get. Yeah. Uh, what you educate your consumer on is also educating them to be a smarter customer. And then the other part of that is knowing when to say no and walk away yeah. when something is not a fit for you because you've determined what your revenue goals are for the for the year and you've broken that down to how many units or 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 um, clients that you have to bring on in order to do that. So that requires you to say no to everything else that's not it. That's not easy though for uh, especially for a lot no, of entrepreneurs because it's like you at the beginning especially right you're trying to get you're trying to make you know there's like like going back to your time when you were you know running out of money and I've been through this too um, it's like when you're when you're running out of money or you're just trying to get by it's like any client looks good so having that singular focus to kind of push that aside and say no this is not going to advance what I'm trying to do is is really difficult for a lot of people how do you kind of get over that yeah you know I, I, for me it was it was a lot of trial and error right yeah. it was that that um, that yucky feeling that you get after you get off the phone is just like, man, they said yes too fast. We've yeah. all been there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like, man, I, I said yes to this thing that I really should have said no to. You know, at, at a certain point, Alex, you're going to get tired of your own shit, right? Like yeah. for lack of better words. And you're going to get tired of yeah. like feeling defeated. And then most importantly, you're going to get tired of looking at that bank account and saying, I am expending too much time, energy and resources and the dollars are not adding up, right? And so it's really about that part within ourselves when we're just like enough is enough. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I mean, there's so many different ways that people get to that point, but that has been my personal experience. And then also realizing like, Hey, you know, a lot of us were in jobs in corporate America doing whatever, and then decided to start a, start a business. You didn't decide to start a business to work yourself into the ground for a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, entrepreneurship means freedom in a lot of ways, right? Whether that's financial freedom whether that's, uh, you know, um, um, time freedom to be able to do different things that you want to do, explore different things. And and that is also a part of the equation, right? And so we have to really kind of change this toxic relationship that we have with money that yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs get into entrepreneurship having that. And so it's really okay to move away from, you know, depression money and sad money and slow money and exhaust, exhaustion money. Like we can free ourselves to say we can have more flow in our business if we price it right. right. And in order to do that, you really have to move away from being a hustler to being a CEO, because CEOs are visionaries, right? And mm-hmm. CEOs don't say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And then that also goes back to doing the work. And so doing your target market work from the very beginning of saying, who is my ideal client? 
you know, you can call it target market work. Some people call it your ideal customer avatar. Mm -hmm. You know, when I worked for Nintendo, our customer avatar was alpha moms, right? Mm -hmm. It was, and this is dating myself, but like we define an alpha mom as a a working mom with a Blackberry in one hand and a child in the other. Mm -hmm. And that said everything that we needed to know about that person. And then we dive deeper. What kind of car does this person drive? What do they do on the weekends? How do they get their, their news? Are they team iPhone or team Android? Because all of those things give you a different profile of who this person is and how you then market to them. But then also what level of income does this person need to be at in order to engage with me. And once I have a better understanding of that, I am not expending my time with people that have the ability to say no, but have no ability to say yes to my to, to my business and what we're, what we're doing. And yeah. then the other part of that is what Tony Robbins said is like, you know, the quality of our questions determine the quality of our life. And so we have to be asking better questions of our business, our business processes, and then who ultimately will become our ideal client that can say yes to our fees at the level in which it, it is required for us to run our business to serve the people that we're ultimately trying to serve. Yeah, that 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 I think is is going to resonate very very well with with with, with the, the folks that are part of Amspot and the folks that are that are listening because and, and, and we deal with this all the time. I've dealt with it. It's it's this the, the idea that you need to work on your business and not for your business, right? So how do you um, how do you get away from the minutia of of the everyday to to trying to direct kind of that that airplane on in where it's going as opposed to just trying to keep it in the air. Um, one thing that you mentioned was um, creating the, the the customer avatar, which I I, I love that, and, and and we talk to talk about that uh, as well. When you bring on like a, a client for your you know private consulting business, is is that one of the things that you really focus on? And and how do you are there some some um, I don't know tools or tricks or 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 lessons or whatever that that folks can use to try to drill down and and get more specific with that. Yeah. And so there's, so I, I do this all the time with clients and they come, I promise you, they come kicking and screaming, yeah. not wanting to do it, thinking that it's another process and like, do not expect results from work that you have not done. Right. And so it's such an important process that every big brand does it, you know? So yeah. when we think or like, oh my gosh, like they're reading my mind. How do they know this ad needs to come to me at the right time? Well, they've done the work to quantify who their ideal client client is. And so, you know, to kind of step outside of like this this industry, look at how it works in other industries. And so design thinking, you know, if you can pick up one of those books or find one of the free or low cost courses online, it is eye opening in its simplicity to kind of really help you walk through this process of getting a really good understanding of who your ideal client is. And it really just goes back to asking a lot of questions and making certain assumptions about who you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And then you test it. And so one of the great ways that I love to test, and I, I have a million and one tech tools, <laughs> Alex, right, yeah. um, is actually using Facebook Ads Manager, right? Like you don't yeah. have to commit to doing an ad or anything like that, but you test all your assumptions, right? And so, hey, in this zip code, how many you know women at the age of 35 to 50 um, you know, want like certain kind of spa services done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 it, and it will actually output their behaviors online and tell you what the market potential is down to your zip code mm-hmm. in the area that you're in, and then you can expand that radius, and it gives you just so many 
insights, right? Data leads to insights and you don't get to data unless you're asking questions that also test assumptions. And I feel like I'm doing like a, like a, uh, you know, a history lesson, what a history lesson, but like a biology 101 <laughs> about hypothesis and like all of these things. Yeah. But when we joke about those things in high school that we'll never need it. And then we want businesses and like, actually we do need this. Yeah. You know, we're testing our assumptions every single day. I assume that this person is my ideal client. I assume that they need to be at this um, level of, of income or household income in order to afford my service and not question it, but become a repeat customer. Well, let me test that assumption. And there's just so many to- free tools online that allow you to do that right now. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's great advice. And I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the amazing things about social media advertising and just social media in general is the amount of data that it spits. I mean, it's almost frightening how much you can learn about, about, about people. Um, but it's not like, you know, like if you do a mail campaign or you do an ad or on the radio or TV, you know, you get, you know, you, you have to track what comes in, but with, with social media, with Instagram and with Facebook, I mean, you can look at that stuff and, I mean, the, the, the granularity of the detail is, is, is astounding. Um, how often do you, do you, I mean, use that sort of, um, analytics like on on social media? Is is that one of the go-to things that you, that, that you like to do for clients and for yourself? Absolutely. Um, because if, if not, like you're not, it's so hard to run a business these days if you're not using data to drive your decisions, right? Making data-driven decisions every single day. And a lot of us are afraid to look at the numbers, right? Because of the truth that it's going to tell us about where where we are. Right. But it's so important to be able to move forward, understanding where you are. And, And, you know, 10 years ago, we did not have like this democratized data that we have today. We just didn't. We didn't have access to it. And now it's at our fingertips. And oftentimes you don't have to pay for the data in order to be able to mine it oftentimes, right? And I'm mostly talking about social media platforms, but our businesses give us so many much data and insights as well if we're collecting it in the right way, right? And so when we are setting up our email marketing campaigns and people are able to opt in on, on our websites, what kind of you know customer journey are we taking them through? But moreover, what kind of questions are we asking them? You know, their birthday is great information to have because that that becomes a part of your annual sales cycle and marketing campaigns towards them, right? right. Um, looking at every time that they have a service or what type of services do they do they get um, knowing what the the most high grossing services that people are, are getting within your business is really important in data but at, at what times are they getting this right mm. and so all of that then better serves you in your marketing efforts because you're not just kind of throwing things up against the wall and seeing what sticks you're actually making data-driven decisions and so, again, kind of asking those right questions, not just, you know, name and, and email address, but what's your birthday? What's your anniversary? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and be, let people decide if they want to share as much information with you as, as, as they want. But you'd be surprised how much data you can get. And then taking the time, I really like people to take their time monthly. And as you're reconciling, right, from a financial standpoint, also reconcile and assess the data that you've collected that month with your transactions and see what the trends are. Mm -hmm. Um, See where the upticks are and not just look at like, oh, my God, we're failing in this area, but like we're succeeding in this area. And let's move away from looking at need to looking at opportunity 
And the opportunity for us exists by doubling down on this where we have growth in our in our business month over month or year over year. How do we increase more of that? Right. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that data, that is also a great way to then also test your customer avatar again, mm-hmm. right? Based off of the initial customer avatar that we have and then looking at our sales data, are we figuring out that we have a whole other profile of a person that is our ideal client that's coming in all the time? Well, how do we create more of Susan's, right? Because mm-hmm. Susan fits this mold. This is the problem that she needs to, that we are solving for her because all transactions go back to solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And this is the frequency that she's coming in. How do we create more Susan's? And so, you know, that could be as easily as uh, uploading your email list of that profile client into uh, Facebook again, right? Because it has lookalike audiences mm-hmm. um, or it's things that you can do within your within your company as well of maybe providing, and I'm just throwing a name mm-hmm. out there, Susan's, right? But <laughs> throwing, you know, throwing the Susan's, the women that meet that or men that meet that profile, um, an incentive to bring someone else along with them that has kind of the shared um, experiences or the way that they kind of live uh, and the lives that they live are, are very similar. There's so many things that you can do instead of just kind of throwing out a, you know, one size fit all incentive or invitation, get more granular in your approach and, and you, you'll get that back, right? You'll mm-hmm. get not only that, that, that increase, um, but you'll get even better data to provide even better insights. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's so true. Um, um, and well, one of the things that, that, that I think some of us in our industries will, will, will struggle with is that they'll go to create their, you know, their typical customer avatar. I love the the vision of, you know, a Blackberry in one hand and, and, and a kid in the other, or you can say, you know, Starbucks in one hand and whatever. Um, but what, what will happen is that they'll have such a, a specific vision for what they want to build in their mind. They start to build it. Um, but then they're they, they kind of lose the forest for the trees. They don't realize that maybe on the on the fringes or or their main the, the main type of customer they're bringing is maybe not their exact avatar, but somebody else. But they don't have the they, they don't recognize the ability to pivot and say, okay, well maybe this you know this customer avatar is is not exactly what I'm getting, but this one is. And so let's focus on that. I mean, how often do you help? People just kind of shift their their focus from who they're serving, as opposed to just trying to to just continue to chip away and try to find that 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 product that meets the exact avatar that you're looking for. Does that make sense? Right. No, it makes it makes plenty of sense. Um, also, all the time, right? Especially <laughs> yeah. now, more than anything in the past year of COVID, the way that it's just yeah. disrupted how all of us have done business. And so, um, you know, so many of us have said, like, all right, I need to pivot to better understand either how to deliver my services or to really hone in on who my true buyer is. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but it's also, it's also, again, one of those things where you're talking about a CEO kind of moving themselves out of the day-to-day operation of the business or carving out time so that they can actually have like stillness Mm -hmm. to be be able to think at that level in order to guide and, and, and drive their business forward. Right. Um, I got some really great advice early on from when, when we were running our food business um, from a friend of mine who's been in marketing, just a marketing genius. And he said to me, and he's like, in the very beginning of starting your business, you need to make the decision if you're going to keep your business in your family for generations or you are set, you're, you're setting it up to sell. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no matter what decision you make, Felicia, 
Um, you operate your business as if you plan to sell it because then you put the right systems in place so that you're not working in the business, you're working on the business. And then it allows you to scale much faster because you've put the right kind of systems in place, right? And so yeah. systems are, are they, they free us, right? They also help us really be able to deliver at a really great quality to our, to our customers and, and, and our clients. And, um, oh gosh, I cannot remember the name of the author right, right now, but Atomic Habits is the name of his book, James Clear. And in the book, he talks about that we don't, um, you know, we don't, we actually don't rise to our, our, our goals. We actually fall to our systems. Mm-hmm. And so the best intentions of the goals that we set with our business, our financial goals, our uh, employee, our scaling goals, like whatever, what it, whatever it is, it wholly relies on the systems that we put in put in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Wh- wh- why is it so hard to to do that? I mean, because I, you're not the first person I've heard to say that. I, I've said it, and, and I struggle with it. It's really hard to to, to kind of take that step back and say, okay, what are the systems I need to put in place so that I can spend time working on my business? Not, you know, not, not for it. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't come naturally to some people. Um, so, um, like for me, I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, what you're saying applies to me. It's like, I, I don't, have enough, I, I don't create enough stillness where I can work on the business. Sometimes it's just, you know, trying to get things, get things done. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> Which is a loaded yeah. question, I realize. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not easy, right? And most of us fail at it miserably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know, oftentimes because we just, we literally had an idea and we jumped feet first into building this thing. Right. And so one of the things that worked for me um, back in like feverish days, I do it to this point. Um, is I would do like these staycations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the first time that I needed to do it, I was like, "How? I, there's no way I can take a vacation. There's no way I can leave the business because the business needs me. Um, and that sense of control actually hurts our businesses more than we think that it, it actually helps our business. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I did was I took a staycation. You know, I left for two days, turned off the phone, turned off the computer. And I'm like, it, it it's going to, it may fail, right? Like that was my thought over and over. It may fail, but I'm like, but what if it succeeds? And how do I then feel as, as a leader that the business can run without me? Um, but then also I, what I looked at is like, well, what are the questions on Monday when I came back into the business that my staff had for me or the man my manager had for me? And let me put SOPs in place, right? So standard operating procedures. And then that way, if that instance ever comes up again, they now know what to do but that's how I'm starting to put my system in place. And so, so often we think when we're talking about systems, it's like, oh my God, like I got to buy this crazy expensive software mm-hmm. or I got to bring in Boston Consulting Group. Like, no, mm-hmm. actually it's a documentation of your process so that anyone else that comes in can fully, can look at that, can watch that video, can listen to the audio and say, I now know how to do this without having to escalate this up to the owner of the company every single time. That is what you start to do. So if you don't take the two weeks and just like see where things are going to, not two weeks, it's two days <laughs> and do it incrementally. It does not have to all be two, two weeks would be nice, right? Like it doesn't have to all happen at the, at the same time, but you have to commit to saying, I am going to document my processes and we're going to commit to doing this every single week until we have the entire process of how we run our business documented. Mm-hmm. And so be incremental with that. Mm-hmm. And then for some of us, 
it's it's just it's never going to work. And so you have to look at your budget and saying, hey, can I bring on a consultant that can do this for me so that mm-hmm. I can just work on what is the zone, what is my zone of genius in the, in the business? And so being able to make those decisions, but more than it, more than likely, anyways, if you bring a consultant on, they're going to want some level of SOP so that they can review and understand. So take the time to do that. Um, you know, in this slow time or in this kind of weird space that we're in um, for businesses right all across the United States, that maybe that that slowness or that stillness is a, is actually giving you the time to put those processes in place to be ready mm-hmm. for the world to open back up. Well, you everyone, you heard it here. Um, Felicia Hatcher just told me to take a two week vacation, so I am signing off. <laughs> and that, <laughs> I think honestly, I I feel like that's. A really interesting and um, astute approach is like because you're right. If, if you're gone and you come back and the, the questions that happen, that that's kind of what needs a process. That, I mean, that's 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 really cool. Um, um, you know, we've been so we've been talking for for forty minutes. I I, I know you're you're super busy. I did want to ask you though, real quick, what was uh, what was it like going to the White House and and, and getting to meet the president and yeah. all that? I mean, that must have been uh, you know just just an amazing experience. Yeah, you, Alex, you could not have told me from what my background is uh, throughout yeah. this journey that I've been on that I would have been honored at the White House as being one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under the age of 30. Like, you could not have told me that. That's awesome. Um, and then to go there twice, right? And so that was in 2011 and then 2014 with the nonprofit that I founded being um, honored as a uh, White House champion of change. Uh, for STEM access and diversity, like you could not have ever told me that that would happen to me twice, right? And yeah. then the White House consulting, like consulting the White House on a number of issues uh, across the that's over the years, like you never in my wildest dreams could you have told me that, right? And I think yeah. that's just the power of dreaming big, audacious, hairy, scary goals is that um, if you don't get close to it, you knock it out of the park. And then your question is what's next? Yeah. And and that what's next when you achieve a thing that you thought was completely out of touch is a really weird place to be in, right? And so being very clear on our goals, you know, because if not, you get these things that kind of sort of look like the thing that you kind of sort of want to be in, but it's never quite it. Yeah. Um, but then really thinking bigger about what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. And so I always talk, you know, I, I teach a lot about Zone of Genius. Um, it's a framework that I learned from Gay Hendricks. Mm-hmm. And it's really about stepping into your Zone of Genius and doing your your best work. But then you have to give your gifts and your genius a destination. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not okay. It's not enough to just say, well, this is the thing that I'm good at. Well, what doors do you want it to open for you? Mm-hmm. What new conversations? What new business? What new people, what new relationships, right? What new friendship, what new clients, like give it a complete destination. Like this gift, because we talk about our gifts must make room for us, Mm -hmm. but very rarely do we talk about what rooms do we want it to take us into. And Mm -hmm. when when we get very clear on that, things really start to shift for us. Because hmm. we know exactly where we're going, and, and do you actually? I mean, do you do you actually like map this out in writing? Like, say this is kind of you know, like I I I, I had a I think it was. It's either Justin Bieber or Kanye West or one of these young child stars who who started real young. Like they had sat down and they had mapped out basically their entire career when they were like 15. I mean, do you do that kind of thing where you're really scheduling it and planning it? Or is it more just kind of thinking about it and setting some some general benchmarks? 
So it's a, it's a little of both, right? Um, mm-hmm. I I never hit the January first like resolution target. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I usually, I like whatever it moves me at the beginning of the year, I, I do it. I do two things, and so um, as far as the clients that I want to work with or the companies that I work with, I always put that list together mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, and then I do it throughout throughout the year. What I do at the beginning of the year is I set my intention for the year. Uh, and so, like, my intention for this year is is effortless flow. And I just want, like, the things that I have in my life, the businesses that I run, I want them to flow much better than they have in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's putting more systems in place. That is, um, you know, um, better support for, like, my staff and my employees. But then my personal life, I, I am an outsource junkie. I try to outsource literally everything. Mm-hmm. And so with, with that, I need more connectivity between that so that I don't even have to think about these things and everything is taken care of. And so when you set an overall intention, that helps you um, kind of weave in what you want your life to look like and feel like and be like in all aspects of it, not just business, but what does it mean for my personal life? What does it mean for my legacy? Like it should flow, well, well, my thing is flow, but like Mm -hmm. I want it to flow in all aspects of that. And then how do I get there is then how I set the goals in order to be able to make that happen. And so sometimes we set goals, but we have no idea what our intention is behind the goal. Mm -hmm. And then you get there and you're just like, well, this is it. (laughs) Like this, I still don't feel fulfilled, right? And when you see those people that have made millions or billions of dollars and they they say they're not happy, they're not fulfilled, that's because they set goals that did not align with their intentions. Mm -hmm. And so set your intention and then the goals to help you make sure that intention um, manifest itself by whatever time that you're giving it, whether it's at the end of the year, the next three years, the next five years, et cetera. Well, you make it sound so easy. I mean, my goodness, this is just not all the tools. None of it's easy, Alex, at, at, at all. But, um, you know, life is not easy, no, right? right? And right. business is not easy, but we're doing it anyways, right? And we're yeah. doing it for very specific reasons that are personal to us. Um, and, and it's just, it always, when I tell people, you know, don't expect work from results that you have not done. I I say that to people because I say that to myself. And so if I want, you know, more money coming into my business, well, what is the work that I have that I need to do? Um, and I, and am I expecting things from work that I've not done? And so if I want more flow in my life, well, I have to create the time and so that's scheduling, like mm-hmm. block out times on my calendar and my and tell my assistant, you know, you're not allowed to schedule anything on this two hour block. And mm-hmm. like I take Mondays off. I don't do any work on Mondays because people are chaotic on Mondays. Mm-hmm. This is the start of the week. And like I don't want to register to that chaos. And so I use Mondays to do all of kind of like my deep thinking, my mm-hmm. kind of planning, my processing, my reconciling. Like I, I, I take or, or just a, a day off. And then I start my day, I start my week on Tuesdays, right? Mm-hmm. But if I didn't set those parameters, people would, my assistant would, would book anything she could possibly book for me on, on Mondays. And I would not have that time that I need to enter the week and be able to do my best work. And so we have to set boundaries because mm-hmm. no one else will set it for us. Mm-hmm. And we have to set time to think and wear our CEO and our visionary hat. And I know this all sounds Oprah Super Soul Sunday-ish, but it's the old school stuff that works. And I think too often we're looking for new school tools to solve problems that are just baseline problems 
and that need baseline solutions that exist in every single thing. The old stuff and the boring stuff really truly works. And mm-hmm. we're always looking for like these new school fangled like mm-hmm. things. Like they're like, app. no, just <laughs> you have to book the time with your intention and plan. Mm-hmm. Well, this is great because the, the 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 two things I've learned is I need I'm taking two weeks off and I'm no longer working on Mondays. So that's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so last quick question: um, What so during um, quarantine and and when all this was going on, what was like what was your go to um, like show that you that you streamed? What was your binge worthy? Um, oh TV man, show? my go to uh, there. I think I feel like I feel like I've watched everything on Netflix, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like almost everything. That sounds so horrible. Um, what was my my go to? Um, <laughs> oh gosh, the, the chess movie. Yeah, I loved, Love and so I, I watched um, the Queen's Gambit. Queen's I, Gambit. I watched it at least I think like six times. Yeah, or the series. That's awesome. Um, that was probably my like my 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 favorite. Um, and then what else? Um, yeah, I would have to say yeah. that, man, no, that was great. my, that was my all time favorite. No, for me, it was, that one was amazing. And then I watched, I think I've watched the last dance, uh, with Michael Jordan about 16 times. So besides that, <laughs> that's just, <laughs> um, Felicia, I really appreciate it. I know, I know you're so busy and in demand, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You are going to be in, um, Vegas. I, and I, I can't wait to, to meet you, um, and, and, and hear your talk. I, it's, it's already, I've learned so much just in the, the 45 minutes we've been talking. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And see you, see you in a few months in Vegas. That's right. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Felicia Hatcher, a Fortune 500 top requested speaker on innovation and personal transformation. If you're new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AmSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.